I want you to look with me in First Thessalonians tonight. We've been there every service so far, and we'll be in First Thessalonians, I think, tonight and tomorrow night. You say, well, preacher, what about what are we going to do Thursday night? You don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Thursday. But on for, on on tonight, I want to spend a little while in First Thessalonians chapter number four. Glad to have visitors here with us tonight. Glad to have home folk, and I want to thank the preacher and his wife, and Lawrence and Schofield for taking us out and having having some food and fellowship. I tell you, brother Lawrence, I'm trying to figure, he looks sharp tonight, doesn't he? I'm telling you, that jacket and that tie, and he's got that pocket watch. And he and and one thing you can't say about Lawrence, you can't say he don't know what time it is, because he's got the pocket watch. Amen. So if you need to know what time it is, you ask him about it. He'll be glad to show you the watch and tell you the time. Amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter number four. There are only eighteen verses, so if you'll allow me tonight, I just want to read the whole chapter, and we'll spend a few moments here. The Bible said, "Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren." And exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you've received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as was command, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now I'm going to pray. Then I want to preach a little while on this thought tonight. Thinking about the coming of the Lord, there's no time for anguish in our lives. Now, Father, I ask you to help us tonight. We love you because you first loved us. We're thankful that you're our God and that we're your people. Lord, we're glad that you're not ashamed to be called our God. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood, and Lord, cleansing us of our sin. 
Thank you for what Paul called your unspeakable gift, the gift of Jesus. And now, Lord, we need you during the preaching. I pray you'd help us. I pray you'll get glory unto yourself. And if you get glorified, your people will be helped. So help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We spent our time in this epistle of First Thessalonians. We spent a little while in chapter 1 talking about since the Lord is soon coming, there's no time to be artificial. There's no time to act like a Christian. You better be a Christian. Then we spent a little time in chapter 2 talking about anger. Since the Lord is soon coming, there's no time for us to live an angry life. Be angry at one another. And then we spent a little time last time thinking about attrition, quitting, falling out by the wayside. The Lord is coming back. It's no time to quit. It's no time to get upset. It's no time to get out. It's no time to fall by the wayside. And of course, you remember we were not talking about losing your salvation because you can't find that doctrine in the Bible. But you can find folks that will get crossways with God. And they'll get out of the will of God. And sometimes they get out of church and they need to be helped. We talked about that a little bit last night. But I want to spend a little time tonight talking about anguish, about sorrow. The word, this little phrase that always captures me when I read this fourth chapter of the book of Thessalonians. When Paul said in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And this little phrase, that ye sorrow not... And then Paul qualifies it. He said, even as others which have no hope. He's not saying that you ought, that it's wrong for you to sorrow when you lay a loved one to rest. But he's saying you ought not sorrow like the world sorrows because they have no hope. When you and I, when you and I lay a loved one to rest, what we're doing is we're sowing seed. We're planting and we're looking for a harvest to come up. It's like the old preacher. There was a, You've heard the song, No Doubt, Resurrection Ground, and uh, how that song came about. A young preacher, his daughter, died. And so they were at the at the funeral, and then they went to the graveside service. And, and this older preacher was there, and he kept hearing them say, graveside and graveyard and so on. And so as that young preacher and his wife were walking back brokenhearted to their car, that old preacher saddled up beside him and put his arm around him and said, Now, son, I want you to know something. This is not a graveyard, and this is not a gravesite. This is resurrection ground. And for every child of God, that's what's going to happen one day when the Lord comes back. It'll be resurrection ground. But I want to think about, I want to say three things to you tonight from this entire chapter, if I can do that, and I think I can. I want to talk to you about some things that are going on here that will cause you to have sorrow. Some things that will cause you in your Christian life to have anguish, to have heartbreak, to have trouble, to be in a turmoil. Some things that will cause you to sorrow. And as I was reading again over this passage in this chapter, I thought to myself, everything I read in here, the sorrow that I find in this chapter, I could have read it today in the morning newspaper. Everything that's going on here. Somebody said, well, the Bible is an old book. Uh, someone said, told somebody else, you ought to get your nose out of a 200-year-old or 2,000-year-old book and get up with the times. So I'm going to tell you something about my Bible. My Bible is up with the times. Somebody said it's as relevant as the morning newspaper, but the truth of the matter is, 
It's more relevant than the morning newspaper. Your newspaper will tell you what happened yesterday. Your Bible will tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen? You won't know what's going on. Get in your Bible. I'm reading in this passage and reading in this chapter, and I'm thinking about when folks are overwhelmed with sorrow. I thought of this verse in Exodus. When Moses came to bring the children of Israel to deliver them, the Bible said they hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. They had anguish. They were in sorrow and it caused them to not heed the words of Moses. We're living in times when folks are afraid. We're living in times when folks are heartbroken. We're living in times when folks are filled with sorrow. And there's some things in this passage that will warn us and help us to not live a life of sorrow. Now, there's three things I want you to notice, and we'll zero in on one of them in a moment. The first thing I want you to notice is Paul will tell us that a lack of holiness in our lives will cause us to have anguish. A lack of holiness will bring sorrow into your life. Somebody, The world says exactly the opposite. They say, well, if you live for God, you never have any enjoyment. You never have any fun. Can I tell you something? I never knew what fun was till I got born again. I never knew what life was till I gave my heart to Jesus. The Bible said the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'll tell you what I feel like tonight. I feel like those servants when the queen of Sheba came to see what she'd heard all those things about Solomon and she wanted to find out if they were true and after she'd looked things over she said this about Solomon's servant. She said happy are thy servants Happy are thy men. You know what she said? She said, I've been watching the people that serve you, Solomon, and they're not just happy. They're doubly happy. They're happy, happy. Can I say something to you about somebody that's really falling in love with Jesus? They're not just happy. They're happy, happy. They're doubly happy. They got joy, exceeding joy. Amen, if you know the Lord. Now, if you're just religious, you don't have any joy. If all you got is a creed and do's and don'ts, you don't have any joy. But if you have Jesus, that's a whole other story. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, Paul talks to us about holiness. He's going to talk to us about, first of all, his concern. Watch what he said. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk, and to please God so you would abound more and more. Paul's been telling that. If you noticed it, we've seen it several times in the Scripture. Paul keeps saying increase, abound more and more. He's saying it's not time to slow down because the Lord's coming back. It's time to speed up because the Lord's coming back. Some say, well, we're just going to sit and rest till Jesus comes. No, let's get up and do something till Jesus comes. But Paul beseeches them and exhorts them. He's concerned about their purity. Are you listening now? He's concerned about the purity of their life and the holiness of their life. Paul wants them to live a pure life. Now look what he said. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. Somebody said, boy, I'd like to know what the will of God is. Paul's fixing to tell us. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is it, Paul, that ye should abstain from fornication? First thing that Paul will mention to us is this business of immorality, sexual sin. We're living days today. We're living when it's rampant. It's been rampant in the world a long time, but I fear it's become rampant in the church. Uh, everybody's, uh, not everybody, but a lot of folk involved in wickedness and ungodliness and immoral thoughts and impure thinking. And so Paul said, here's the will of God, that you should abstain, say no, avoid. Here's the way he puts it in another place. Flee 
fornication. I heard one preacher say one time, sometime a good run's better than a poor stand. Sometime what you better do, just run away. Just flee away. What did, hey, what did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife was after him? He fled. He got him out of there. She had her hands on him. She must have, because he left his coat in her hands. But he didn't stay there and say, well, I'm strong enough to bear up under this. He said, no, I'm getting out of here while the getting is good. You better run from fornication. You better run from immorality. You better run from adultery. You better run from that sort of stuff. Hey, look up here. You better run from pornography. Because pornography is fornication. You better run away from it. I want you to notice the words that Paul uses in the contrast. Look what he said. He talks about sanctification in verse number 3. He talks about holiness. He talks about honor. He talks about brotherly love. Those are the words that ought to characterize our life as a Christian. But then he talks about this also in these verses. He talks about fornication and lust and uncleanness. He talks about defrauding. He talks about despising. He says in verse 4 that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He'll talk about adultery. I believe in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified for God hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness. Look up here. God wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to be pure in your thinking. He wants you to be pure in your living. He wants you to live for Him and not for the lust of the world. I was preaching in another state and I preached one year and I went back the next year and a young man came up to me and he said, Brother McBride, I want to thank you for something you said last year. And I tried to think about what I'd preached. I'd preached a series. It was a camp meeting uh, setting, a Bible conference. And uh, he said, well, I said, uh, was I preaching this? He said, well, actually it wasn't the sermon that you preached, but in the sermon, during the sermon, you made a statement. And he said, when you made that statement, God smote my heart. He said, I've been involved in pornography. And he said, when God spoke my heart, I went home. And I told my wife, I confessed to her what I'd been looking at. And he said, then her and I went to my pastor. And we confessed to my pastor. And he said, then my pastor began to counsel with us. And he said, I want to say to you, by the help of God and the grace of God, I've got victory in that thing. And my relationship with my wife has been repaired. And my relationship with the Lord has been repaired. I was so glad to hear about it. Then sometime later, I don't know, maybe a year later, I got a phone call from him. He was all, he was all excited. He said, guess where I am, preacher? I said, I don't know. Where are you? He said, I'm in, he named a foreign country. I said, what are you doing over there? He said, I'm on a missions survey trip. He said, God's dealing with me about the mission field. I said, well, hallelujah. You say, did he go? No, but he's pastor in the church. God put him in the ministry. But I remember another young man. Listen to me now. I was in a service. I preached one morning and on a Sunday morning. And at the end of the service, I said, now, if you're here and you're lost and you'd like to be saved, raise your hand and I'll pray for you. And the young man raised his hand. I would have guessed him to be in his 20s. He came back that night. Well, that morning as he went out, he didn't come forward. So I, I met him at the door. I stand at the door shaking hands and I shook his hand and I said, what's your name, young man? He told me his name. Then he went out the door. He came back Monday night. 
Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Came back every night. Never raised his hand again. Never showed any any evidence the Holy Ghost dealing with him. But on Friday night, I was standing out in the foyer, and the preacher came, and he said, Brother McBride, would you come and talk to this young man? And I walked inside, and that young man was that, that young man that had raised his hand Sunday morning was sitting up in the in the choir loft. And I walked up and I sat down beside him. I said, What's going on? He looked at me and he said, Preacher. He said, The other night I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard a voice. He said, I wasn't dreaming, I was wide awake. He said, I heard a voice, and the voice said to me, You're all alone in this world, and there's no hope and no help for you. So I began to talk to him about Jesus. And I, I said, you know, do you know the Lord? Do you know you're saved? He said, I, I want to be. I, I said, the Lord will save you. He said, I don't think I can get saved because of my sins. And I started talking to him. And every time I'd talk to him, he'd say, I don't think I can get saved because of my sin. And finally I stopped and I said, now, wait a minute now. Jesus came to save sinners. Are you talking about sin or a sin? And he looked at me and he said, preacher, I'm addicted to pornography. He said, I work at a job where I'm on the Internet eight hours a day, but I can get all my work done in an hour and a half. And he said, the whole rest of the day I spend surfing pornographic sites. He said, I just got fired from a job because they were tracking the places that I went. They came in with a stack of papers about that thick of the places where I had been, and they fired me. I lost my job. And here's what he said to me. He said, preacher, I drive down the road and I see men that I graduated, said, I'm 30 years old. I see men I graduated high school with, and they're playing ball. They're playing t-ball with their kids. He said, I'll never have children. I'll never get married. He said, I, I don't know how to look at a woman. I don't even know how to think right about a woman. He said, preacher, what was going on with that man? He got himself involved in the lust of concupiscence. He got involved himself in fornication. And you say, well, preacher, I'm involved, but nobody knows. Nobody knows about it. It'll be all right. Now, wait a minute. Watch what he said in verse 6, verse 7. Verse 8, that no man go beyond defraud his brother in any matter. Hey, 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 I don't want to get, I don't want to get too plain. I don't want to get crude. I don't want to get crass, but look up here at me, sir. That little girl you're looking at on the, on the internet is somebody's daughter. That woman you're looking at, somebody's sister. Might be somebody's wife. What would you want to happen to your daughter? Your sister. Your wife. You're defrauding somebody. He said this. He said that no man go beyond defraud his brother in any matter. Because that, listen now, that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testified. You say, well, preacher, don't nobody know. God knows. They may not be a stack of papers like that from the job where they've been tracking you, but the Holy Ghost's been tracking you. He knows what those eyes have been looking at. He knows what those ears have been listening to. He knows what's going on, and God is the avenger of all such. You will not get away with that sin. I'm telling you, if you want to have anguish, if you want to have sorrow, you live a life that's not holy. You live a life that's impure. You live a life that's involved in the kind of things that are involved here. The consequence of this is God's going to judge. There will judgment come. It'll come, friend. You say, well, maybe this will happen. Maybe that will happen. Hey, you can choose the sin, but you don't get to choose the consequence. You don't get to choose what God does about it. 
You want to have sorrow? Just keep on with it. You want to have anguish? Just keep on it. You said, preacher, I can't stop. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Wait a minute. And such were some of you, but now you are justified. You're washed. You're sanctified. I want to tell you, friend, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And Jesus can make you free if you'll, if you'll confess and get right about it. God will help you. I'm saying to you, a lack of holiness in your life will bring sorrow and it'll bring anguish. There's something else he'll talk about. He'll say this. He talks about brotherly love, but then he says in verse 11 and 12, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. Now, let me say it this way to you, and I may have to explain it. A lack of holiness will bring sorrow into your life, anguish into your life, but a lack of homeliness homeliness. Now I know we use the word homely like somebody's not attractive. But, there, but the word homeliness has the idea of being a person involved in their home. It's somebody who's, somebody whose life is wrapped around their home. Now I want you to think of what he said here. The command is study to be quiet. Boy, that's interesting phrase. That's not what we study for. We study to have something to say. But Paul said, study to be quiet. What's he talking about? He's talking about striving for a life of peace. A quiet life. A peaceful life. A life without uproar. A quiet and peaceful life. That's what he's commanding us. And and here's how he explains it to us. He said, he says, study to be quiet. And how do you do that? Do your own business. Now watch this. Your own business. And to work with your own hand. Paul said, now here's how. Here's how you can have a, a life that doesn't bring you sorrow. He said, strive to be quiet. Study to be quiet. Be peaceful in your work. Be personal in your work. Here's what he said. He said, look at me. Don't be a busybody. Don't be involved in everybody else's business. Get involved in your own business. You know why people have tr- have time to get involved in everybody else's business? Because they're neglecting their own. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. i got enough to keep up with in my own heart. i got enough to keep up. I don't have time to keep up with your life and with your heart. I don't have time for that. And the Bible said that you may walk honestly. He says this. Paul warns us in 2 Thessalonians. He said, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Did you ever wonder? Can I just stop and throw this in? Did you ever wonder how them people that are marching in the streets and burning down homes and having a lot, who's paying their bills? How are they putting food on the table? If they had a job, they wouldn't have time to be out doing what they're doing. Amen. You know what you ought to do? Get yourself some work. And get busy at your work. And make that work in that family the center of your universe. The focus of it. 
raising those children. A life of homeliness. The consideration. Paul also warned us in 1 Timothy. And with all they learned to be idle. He was talking about, he's talking about widows here. They learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but tacklers also in busy bodies, speaking things which they ought not. You say, well, it's just widows that do that. No, widowers do that. And husbands do that. And wives do that sometimes. And teenagers do that. And moms and dads do that. Uh, and preachers, unfortunately, do that. But we all learn to mind our business that we'd stay right with God and walk with God. And Paul said, here's the result of it. He said, the result of it is that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Lack of nothing. Now, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking to myself, there's, I can only go so far. I'm going to do everything I can. The preacher and I were talking a little bit today about laying up and things, you know, and thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow and trying to be prepared. And, 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 and he used the word, not that we are that, but he used the word prepper about being a, somebody being a prepper. I don't understand all that, but I know one thing. I can't possibly, no matter what I do, be prepared for everything that's coming. But I have a God who knows what's coming. So I think I'll just, I'll just practice homeliness. That's what I'll do. I just mind my own business and work and do the best I can to serve God. And if I do the best I can to serve God and stay out of everybody else's business and mind my own business, you know what I think? I think what's lacking in my life, God will take care of. I think He'll make up what I cannot prepare for. He knows better than I know anyway. If you're a tattletale, if you're a busybody, just quit that junk. You know what's going to happen? It's going to bring you sorrow. It's going to bring you trouble. It's going to come back on you. It's, you're going to reap what you've sown. So let's just do this. Let's not worry about everybody else's life. Let's worry about our life. Let's make sure we're right with God. We'll live for God. So there's a lack. A lack of holiness will, will bring you sorrow and anguish. And a lack of homeliness will bring you sorrow and, and uh, anguish. But then the last thing, and this is the part of the passage that we're all so familiar with, and that is a lack of hopefulness will bring you sorrow and anguish. I love what Paul said. We looked at it already. He said, sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I thought about how relevant everything that Paul says in this chapter is. We're living in days of immorality when men are, and men and women alike are involved in wickedness and ungodliness. We're living in days when folks are busybodies and they don't, they don't take care of their own business. They want to be in everybody else's business. But we're also living in days when men and women, we have been faced with death. It seems like with death in some ways like we never have known here in America and in our societies we've been faced. We have planted our loved ones. I've not, I have not had family that, that uh, died recently with the COVID and all that sort of stuff, but I have dear friends. Some of you have buried family members. We've buried close friends. And you think about them and you think, what, what, what is this all about? But here's what Paul said. These Thessalonican Christians had buried loved ones. They were looking for the second coming of the Lord. They had laid to rest their loved ones and they were asleep in Jesus. Can I say this to you, by the way? little parenthetic expression. The Bible never talks about 
about lost people as being asleep in Jesus. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. But if you're saved, that body's resting and that soul and spirit are with Jesus. Amen. But how, uh, hallelujah, one of these days that resting body is going to get up out of the grave and it's going to be transformed and have a new body like unto Christ. And that body and soul and spirit will be reunited. The dead, hallelujah, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It will happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Paul said we're going to be changed. You say, well, preacher, what about my loved ones that I've laid in the ground? You planted them, friend. And one of these days at the trump of God and the shout and the voice of the archangel, there is going to be a reaping. They're going to come up out of that grave and that, that get that brand new body. It's going to be a glad day. They were worried. They were concerned. They were concerned because uh, they doubted what was going to happen to those loved ones. They thought maybe if they died, they were going to miss the rapture. And so Paul said, no, they're not going to miss the rapture. As a matter of fact, they're going to get raptured before you are. The dead in Christ shall rise first. There's doubt in their mind about the state of the dead. Let me just say this. There is a resting, a resting, a sleep in Jesus. What do you do when you sleep? You rest. And you you look at those loved ones that they have toiled and and they have gone through pain and they've gone through suffering. But that body's not going through that anymore. It's resting in the grave. That soul and the spirit in the presence of the Lord Jesus. You say, are you sure? Here's what Paul said. He said to be absent from the body. Let's be present with the Lord. I believe if I left here tonight from this pulpit, I'd be right in the presence of the lovely Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where our loved ones are. That body's resting. It's renewing. But there's an awakening coming. You know what the cure for their anguish was? It was doctrine. Paul talked to them about the record of Christ. At least what he said. For if we believe. Are you a believer? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Is that what you believe? That's what I believe. He died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And then he said this, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's telling us the Lord himself. The Lord, think about that phrase, the Lord himself. I heard, I think it was Dr. Billy Canoy say years ago, he said Jesus isn't sending an angel for the church. Uh, his bride is too precious to him. He's not sending anybody, any, any servant for the church. He's coming for the church himself because the bride is too precious for him. The